There, man. <laughs> you know, I just heard um, this week somebody say uh, that when you're in front of a large audience, you cannot say, hey, how are you? Because all the people wouldn't be able to answer you directly. But you just proved that guy completely wrong. <laughs> so we're in the best gift um, season. If you're new to Community of Faith or relatively new, um, this is a good series to get a glimpse on everything that uh, the church is doing around the world. And today what I want to do is analyze the why. You know, why, why do we do everything that we do? You know, why do we use all this gift that we're talking about uh, to help partners around the world do what they do? And, and, and why should you want to be a part of it? So uh, I would like to pray for us and then talk a little bit about that, okay? So let me pray for you. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much uh, for your love. Uh, thank you for saving us, for uh, coming down and become a human being just like us and giving your life after living the perfect life so that we could have eternal life. And we know, Lord, that you saved us for something and we would like to hear from your Holy Spirit today. Talk to our hearts, Lord, so that we understand exactly what you want of us. We love you, and we want to put ourselves in your hands in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, see, uh, words are a powerful thing, or they can be powerful things. Uh, you can mark a person with your words. You can change the life of a person with your words. I think that words, um, we should be careful how we use them. And if words are important, I want you to consider <clears throat> how important would be the last words that a person says, especially when that person knows that these are going to be the last words that they're going to be said. Um, you know, sometimes uh, people that know that these are going to be their last words uh, use their words to leave a, a loving message for the people that they leave behind. Do uh, you remember Leonard Nimoy? Mr. Spock from Star Trek, these were his last words. A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had but not preserved except in memory. You can see that he thought about it, you know, before he said these last words. Or, or sometimes it can be the reflection of the, the frustrations of your life. Uh, these are the last words of uh, Leonardo da Vinci. You know who da Vinci was? You know, the author of the Mona Lisa, the most famous painting in the world. Actually, the most famous Last Supper painting was done by Leonardo. And this is what he said. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. And that's true. We're all fried. You know, if, if Leonardo didn't reach his potential, <laughs> then there's no way we can, Right. Or, or sometimes it can be the reflection of, of, of the painful life that you lived. Um, you know who Frida Kahlo was? Famous Mexican artist, painter. She was a woman that, when she was 18 years old, she was traveling in a streetcar. And the streetcar had an accident. They crashed. And a tube went through her body. She spent a, a year and a half in bed without being able to move. That's when she started thinking of painting. You know, so they created this contraption so she could paint. And for the rest of her life, she had to wear corsets that are really tight. And she lived in pain every day of her life. These were her last words. 
I happily await the exit, and I hope to never return again. Okay, she, was, she did not do good in the party, so she, she, she was not very happy. So how about the last words of the most important person that ever walked this earth? You know, this has the, these are the last words of, of Jesus, knowing that these were going to be the last word that he was going to say to his disciples. They're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, and this is what happens. Says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Uh, if you have been coming to church for a certain time, uh, you have heard that passage. It's, it's, it's known as the Great Commission. You have heard it preached, read. Maybe you have read it and studied many times. This is such an important passage and that can actually be studied from so many different angles. That just a few months ago, if you were here about four months ago, I preached on this passage, but from a completely different point of view than I'm going to do today. I think that it's important for us as Christians to keep always this passage in mind because it should be a guideline for what we do and why do we do what we do. <clears throat> so I would like to analyze it, but, but I want you to notice in the beginning, how does it start? You know, what is the first thing that happens? In verse 18, it says that Jesus came to them. He had asked them to meet him at a specific spot before he would ascend to heaven, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the Great Commission doesn't even start with the Great Commission. See, the way that Jesus starts is with the foundation of why the Great Commission can be fulfilled. He's telling them what is the source of the power that they are going to need to be able to do this. And see, uh, if you study the book of Revelation, the Bible usually enlightens the Bible. In, in Revelation chapter 5, uh, the Bible tells us that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not only needed for him to save us. You know, he died for us so that he could save many people for his father. But he also died on the cross to be able to receive all the power and all the authority in heaven and on earth. See, um, Revelation, as you know, is a vision that the apostle John has of heaven He's taken to heaven in the vision, and he appears in the throne room, you know, where he sees God holding a scroll. And this scroll, which is written inside and outside, it's sealed with seven seals. And then all of a sudden, an angel, you know, with loud voice says, who can open the scroll? The scroll contains the redemption plan that God has for the world. And the angel says, who can open this scroll? And, and, and he says, well, no one was found in heaven, on earth, or under earth, that, opened, that could open the scroll. So John starts weeping, and then an elderly man comes and says, stop crying. He can open it. And then it appears a lamb that looked like it had just been slain, which is our Lord in heaven right after he has been slain. And then he goes and takes the scroll from the right hand of God, and, who's sitting at the throne, and the, the, the guy says, he's gonna start opening the scrolls. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the elders that are around him bow to him and say, you are worthy because you were slain in order to save all these people for God. 
And then thousands and thousands of angels start singing, and this is what they sing. You, you, you have it in your notes, Revelation 5, 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So he needed to die on the cross, not just to save all the people, you know, to forgive all our sins through the shedding of his blood, but to receive all the power that the Father was going to give him. So after his resurrection, he goes down to his disciples and he's about to tell them what's the plan, what's next, you know, what, what does he want them to do? But first, he tells them what is the source of the power that they're going to need to be able to do this. And he tells them, my authority is divine and it's absolute. It's not limited by, by, by time or by space. Now, realize also that for the disciples, this is a very important moment. Think of everything that they just went through. They just followed Jesus for three years, saw him do amazing things, teach incredible teachings, but they are present when he's arrested. You know, and, and, and what do they do? They run away. They, they abandon him in, in his time of, of biggest need. And then some of them witness how he's tortured and crucified and then buried. Can you imagine the confusion in their heads? Thinking, we've been following this guy for three years, thinking he was the Messiah that was, a, was going to restore Israel to his previous glory. And, and now he's dead and he's buried. But three days later, they start hearing these rumors that he's alive. Some, some of them come and say, like, he, he appeared to me. And some of them come and say, like, we were walking to this other town, and he all of a sudden started walking with us. And all of a sudden, he appears to all of them that are hiding, scared to death in an upper room, and he just appears in front of them. Can you imagine the shame that they must have felt at that moment? You know, that, that they abandoned him, and all of a sudden, there he is. Maybe they were afraid that they had lost their only shot at this lifetime opportunity of running with the Messiah and do things. But Jesus shows how much he loves us, all of his disciples, as, as weak character as we have. He still loves us and restores them to himself and tells them, hey, the plan's still on. You know, and so he has them together in, in this specific place to tell them their final instructions. But by this point, they realize now who he truly is. So this, there must have been excitement and, and some expectation. You know, what is he going to do? Is he going to restore Israel now to the power? But the way he starts is by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am about to ask something of you but I'm going to give you everything that you need to fulfill it. I want you to realize something. He was speaking to you as well. And these words that he just said should eliminate any fear, any doubt that you have about yourself. Not your doubts about the Bible and, you know, I know that we are always struggling with certain things, but it should eliminate any doubt that you can have about you. Because if you're like most of us, you know, the moment that God calls you to do something, your first question is, me? I mean, don't you know my heart? Don't you know the things that I've done in the past, what's behind me? And what Jesus is saying, it's not about you. 
is not in your power. It's not with your authority. I already did everything that needed to be done so that I can give you authority and power so that you can do this. So you and I are ambassadors of the king of the universe, and we're backed up by his authority. And this is what he's saying. And listen, I, I don't know in what circumstances are you walking right now. I have no idea what Jesus is going to ask of you. Because they, you know, God made us all different and specifically designed for what he wants us to do. So he's going to ask of you something very different than he's going to ask of me. But these words that Jesus says are saying, but the source of your strength and your power, you know, you, your source of security comes from me. So it doesn't matter what he asks of you or where does he send you, he can ask whatever because he's giving you all the power and the authority that he possesses. And then he gives them the task. Verses 19 and 20 says, therefore, you know, because I have all this authority, and I can give it to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, this is the task for all of us, to make disciples. And I want you to notice that in that calling, there are no qualifications of any type. There's no asterisk at the bottom of the page that says, except if at this moment you're short of money or you're real busy or you don't think that you have enough knowledge or skills. No. All disciples of Jesus Christ should be making more disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a very direct calling, and you're not going to find a verse in the entire Bible that contradicts this calling. So we have to stop seeing this as another program of the church. This is what we are here for. It is not optional. It is not seasonal. It's not, okay, this season of my life, I'm going to really work on this. But right now, I have to... No. It is what we do. And it's not reserved for pastors. You know, he's sending all believers. This is why the church exists, to spread the good news and make disciples. And I know this is something that... Uh, usually, especially if you're starting to get to know your Bible, it will make you very nervous. People are usually afraid of speaking about Jesus to other people because what if they ask questions that I cannot answer? But I believe that this is why Jesus gave us the how-to with three specific verbs that tell us what we need to do. Did you hear the three verbs? Go, baptize, teach. Now, we're going to analyze each one of those verbs, but before we get there, you have to remember at all times what the goal is. The goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that clear in your head, you're going to think that the goal is to go, or the goal is to baptize, or the goal is to teach. That's not the end that we're pursuing. Those are the means to the end of making disciples. Okay, so let's read the three verbs and you'll see how it's important to keep coming back to the goal. The first one says just go. What does that communicate to you? Go. It means you have to move. You have to do something. You, you, we cannot make disciples just sitting comfortably here every Sunday or organizing social gatherings in our house or just watching the TV or internet or whatever you waste your time watching, you know? It's not gonna work, you know? So 
to make disciples of Jesus Christ, your agenda is going to have to be modified. You're going to have to open space purposefully. See, this is the idea that I think it wants to transmit to us, and I put this in your notes. It says, discipleship does not happen without intentionality. You don't make disciples by chance. It's not just randomly, all of a sudden, oh, oh, wow, this turned out to be a disciple. You know, like, it, it doesn't happen like that. You have to work on it. You have to plan it. You have to have a structure, you know. And, and, and this means for all of us a different thing, you know, because as I said, God made you different than he made me, so your calling most likely is going to be different. For some people, you know, the, the calling is going to be leave everything behind, move to the other side of the world, and spread the good news and make disciples there. And I know that some of you may be thinking, I pray that's not me. I don't want to go to the other side of the world and risk my life. So if you are afraid that God is going to call you to do something that you're afraid of, you don't want to do, you're not good at it, you're not equipped to it, and you hate the idea, you don't know how God operates. Because God made you specifically for the purposes that he has for you. See, we have people from this church and some from our church in Cancun that are living right now on the other side of the world, some of them in some of the most dangerous countries in the world, spreading the good news hidden. And those people spend years praying for God to open the door for them to be able to go. It was burning inside of them. They couldn't wait to get there. You know, so whatever God is going to call you to do, it's something that is going to burn your heart and that you're good at it because he equipped you for it. He made you for that. So for some of us, it might be a call to go to the end of the world. For some of us, it might be just participating constantly in the mission trips that we organize at the church and spread the good news and the love of God. You know, that uh, we have a person that... Uh, we sponsor from both our campuses, but she was basically uh, based in Cancun, that lives in one of the most dangerous countries in the world right now. And every time that she has a chance to come to church, she speaks to the church there and she says, you may not be called to go, but your resources can go for you. You know, you can go with me by supporting me going. And this is what Best Gift is all about. Now, if you're thinking at this moment, oh, okay, I'll help, and then I can sit comfortably. No, that, that's not the point. See, the point is, you might not be called to go, but we are all called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So for some of us, it might be just to talk to our neighbor, or, or a schoolmate, or, or a co-worker, or, or some of your friends, you know, people that don't know God. See, this is why we have to do this. In the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Obviously, that doesn't mean whoever says, Jesus, he's saved. No, it's somebody that calls unto him to be saved, that puts his faith on Jesus, that people will be saved. He said, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? See, um, one of the interesting things that happens constantly to me when I'm talking to, to Christians, to people that truly believe and have given their life to, to Christ, and they have this question. It's a very common question. What's going to happen to all the people that have never heard of Jesus? 
What if somebody lives in an island and, and no one goes there to preach? Are, are they going to be saved? They're really concerned. The answer to that question, it's material for a different sermon, okay? But let me tell you what I tell the people that ask me that, because if that's crossing your head right now, this is my question to them. It's like, are you really concerned about that? Did God put a weight on your heart for the people that has never heard of him? What are you waiting for? Why haven't you gone? Really, you're concerned? And usually they say, like, well, not that concerned, you know? <laughs> because a lot of people are just trying to find an excuse not to believe, you know? Or to avoid any work. But, see, this is what Paul is saying. It's like, they need to hear about him. And did you hear the last question that he asked? He said, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? You know what's the answer to that? They won't. They won't. If, if they're not sent, they're not going to go. And this is why it's so important that you pay attention to Matthew 28, because he's sending you. If you didn't realize it, that hat has disappeared. He's telling you. You are being called to do these things. See, evangelizing, sharing the good news, is the work of the church. Saving people is the work of God. We don't change people. We don't save people. We spread the good news. And that's our job. So we first go and we talk about him. Okay? But the second verse is baptize. You know, clearly, in Jesus' mind, baptizing people, it's an integral part of making disciples. Why? Because this is a public declaration of your faith. This is when you're saying, I belong to Jesus. He saved me. I want to die with him. And then I want to come back alive with him. And I want to live for him. And you know what's the problem with this? Not the problem, but the reality of this. In our society, there's no persecution. Not, not real. You know, we have some persecution. We sometimes are isolated by some people because we are believers. But there are countries where... You get baptized and you, you know, profess your, your faith in Jesus and you're expelled from your community. For the first 300 years, the Jewish people that became Christians and the members of the Roman Empire that became Christians, the moment that they profess their faith, their goods could be confiscated, they could be thrown in jail, and some of them were killed because of that faith. You know, so for Jesus, clearly, it's very important that you take the step to publicly say, I identify as a member of his family. He is the king of my life. It doesn't mean that you know everything. It doesn't mean that you understand everything in the Bible and all your doubts all of a sudden disappear. And it's important that you hear that because a lot of the people that I talk to that have not been baptized, their usual answer to the question, why, is I'm not ready. You're not ready for what? You don't even know, you know, you don't have to know even how to swim. You know, that's like, prepare for what? Do you think there's a questionnaire? The only question is, do you trust Jesus with your life? Yes, you're ready. You have to do it. There's no reason to wait. Have you ever read the conversion of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts? You know, Paul, before his conversion, was Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church. He's on his way to Damascus with letters written allowing him to come and drag Christians back to Jerusalem to be tried and pushed and make them reject their faith. And in, in, on the way there, Jesus confronts him. 
bright light, falls off the horse, you know, who are you, Lord? You, I'm Jesus, you're persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? He goes blind. Jesus gives him specific instructions. Go to this house and wait there. And then he gives a vision to a different man named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for this guy, Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias says, like, Lord, are you sure? Because this guy's killing Christians, you know? And he's like, I'm sure. Go. And he goes and he prays for him. And he says to him, the God of our fathers has appointed you to serve him. And he prays for him. And all of a sudden, something like scales fall off of his eyes and he recovers his, his vision and these are the words of Ananias to Paul the moment he finished his prayer. Acts 22, verse 16. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. See, there it is, call on his name. But he says, why do you delay? So here's the question. Do you believe? Have you believed? Are you baptized? Why do you delay? So this is the reality, and I put this in your notes because it's important that you hear these things. There are no disciples not baptized. A disciple is a person that follows the teacher, and that doesn't mean just physically following him. Becomes more like him, listens to his words, and follows his, his commandments to behave like he behaves. What was the first thing that Jesus did? Before he started his ministry, be baptized. So if you believe, that should be the first step. And that's going to do two things. First of all, it identifies you as a disciple of Christ. But second, it also identifies you as a member of his family, as a member of the church, the body of Christ. We are commanded to do a lot of things to one another. Love one another, support one another, you know, encourage one another, confront one another. But you first have to say, hey, I'm one of the members of his body. I want to be part of the one another. So we baptize. And then we teach. The third thing that we need to do is teach disciples of Jesus Christ, teach others to obey his teachings. But remember again, what's the goal? The goal is to make disciples. See, if you come to a place and the people believe and they get baptized, you need to teach them. You need to help them understand what it really means to be a Christian. Because if they just believe and then you leave them, then this becomes a game of numbers. How many people got converted? 500 signed a little letter. Oh, okay, let's go to the next town. That people's going to be lost. You know, they need to understand and it's not just a matter of giving them a bunch of data about Jesus so they learn all this stuff. See, when knowledge only reaches the head of people, that produces arrogance. You know, they collect all this knowledge in their head and then all of a sudden they feel like they are superior to everyone else. And they think that they can point their finger at you and, and, and reprimand you for how you're living your life and... This knowledge needs to reach their heart because the message of Jesus is a message of love. It's a message of loving people unto understanding what Jesus did for them. You know, it, 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 it needs to reach them. This is why one of the most important things that we can do is to help them understand 
what it means that the transition to becoming like Christ, that it's done by the Holy Spirit. Because it's not until somebody starts living like Jesus that we can say, this person is a disciple of Christ. So we teach them how to learn to adopt spiritual disciplines. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But this is what makes this step so complicated. See, I put this in your notes. To disciple someone, we must leave what we teach. Or said in a different way, only a disciple of Jesus Christ can make more disciples of Jesus Christ. Only people that have been converted, transformed by the loving power of God can then show that love to other people. And, and, and this is crucial because you know what's the most important tool that we have to be able to truly share the good news? Our testimony. What, what God has done in our lives, how we have been transformed to these things. Now, it, it's true that, you know, what we want is disciples of Christ, not disciples of us. You know, people doesn't become my disciple. My job is to try to help them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Every time that people tell me, no, you're such an example, I'm like, please, no, don't. Look at Jesus. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm a human being. I like you very much. Give me time. I'll disappoint you. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm just a person, okay? We are his disciples, and it's also true that none of us is perfect. Actually, it is when you try to convey perfection that you turn people completely off. You have to be honest, transparent of your struggles, how God is changing you. But the changes have to be noticeable in your character because it is our transformation that shows, first of all, that we are truly his disciples. But second of all, that's what impacts the life of people. See, changed lives change lives. When your life has changed and people see it, then they get hope. They can see the transformation. Because only if you truly adopt spiritual disciplines, this is going to work in your life. Because you have to understand this. This is not a matter of will power. I am not going to work myself into being like Christ. It is through the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, that we allow God through the Holy Spirit to truly change our hearts. When our heart changes, our behavior changes. If I'm just trying to white-knuckle these things, I'm fighting against that nature of my heart, and eventually I'm going to collapse. There's people with very strong willpower, and there are people with none. But regardless, if you're all the time fighting against it, then you're really not transformed. See, put a person under pressure and let them be there for three minutes and you'll know their true character. And that's when you can see a person transformed. So we can't change anyone. The Holy Spirit does true spiritual discipline. This is what we have experienced here. This is what we see happening in Cancun all the time as well. And I wanted you to see it, you know, in, in, in one of... Uh, the lives of uh, a man in, in Cancun. I want to tell you the story of this guy. This guy uh, was a friend of mine. His name is Israel. I know that you guys don't name people Israel or Jesus like we do in Mexico. We have a lot of Jesus there. Um, but his name was Israel. Uh, and 
in 2016, when I started uh, training Taekwondo, you know, he was one of the students. He was an adult class, got together in the mornings. And we, we became friends. I invited him to the church constantly, but he, he never wanted to go. And then all of a sudden, after like, must have been like a year, year and a half, he dropped out. You know, he just disappeared. And, you know, I kept asking our, our, our teachers, like, what happened with Israel? He's like, I don't know. He's, he's he was a lawyer. He was really busy. So about two years ago, he shows up all of a sudden to the class, and, and he talks to the teacher, and he says, I need help because my marriage is, is a mess. And, and my teacher, who now is a, a loyal member of our church in Cancun, said, like, you're talking to the wrong teacher. Go talk to Marco. You know, marriage? Here. You know, Taekwondo? Me. So he, he sent him to, to me. And we went to have a cup of coffee, and, um, and he told me, I, you know, I, I've, I've wrecked my marriage. I left my, my wife and my two daughters three months ago, and, 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 and I'm, I'm kind of lost. I, I was kind of thinking that maybe I made a mistake, and I should reconnect with my first girlfriend from 25 years ago. And I was like, oh, well, wait, wait, wait. And if you're asking for a blessing on that, you're talking to the wrong person. So let, let me, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell you what marriage is according to the Bible. And I'm going to share a little bit of our struggles and our marriage. And we talked for like 45 minutes. Uh, I want you to listen to the story from Israel and his wife, Debbie. Watch this video, please. Yeah. No. Israel went from that conversation and asked for forgiveness and started working, you know, by coming to church. He was, you know, he first believed. Uh, he, he, he was baptized with all his family, and he's been taught, and he's been serving diligently there. Uh, his two girls work in our kids' area every Sunday with the mom. Uh, we have a men's breakfast every Saturday uh, morning, and Israel is uh, the leader of one of the tables. And the, the most amazing things, you know, you know what's the, the, the most amazing thing about God asking you to serve, especially when it comes to things like that, when you go through struggles like that? God never wastes any pain. He puts it to work. Uh, Israel and his wife are now being trained in the marriage ministry because they want to now help marriages. And this is what God does. You know, you go through things and then he sends you to help the people that are going through things that you went through. And, and, and it's a bummer that the cameras kind of like make people to go like this because every time you see them at church, they're like, yeah, you know, like they're like, oh, I'm Israel. Uh, seems like they forced me to be here. But no, you know, the, the guy is really excited and he's serving and he's excited and he's being trained. And, and you know, and, and one of the amazing things is um, at some point Israel told me, you know what, I'm so surprised. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, I didn't really understand it, but, but all of a sudden, I start hearing God's voice so clearly. You know, he's directing me now. It's like he, he first, he started dropping every, you know, shady business that he did before as a lawyer. So, so his practice all of a sudden shrunk, and, but he was adamant that he was gonna do the things the right way, and, and, and one day he came like glowing to the church to tell me that his, his business was now growing because people started finding out that he was an honest lawyer, so he started doing great. You know, he, and, and he, just, he tells me what to do. And, and, and that's really interesting because there's a lot of people that tell me, how can I do that? Why doesn't God speak clearly to me? Why, why don't I get an email every once in a while or something from God to tell me what to do? 
When is it that we can feel his presence and his guidance more clearly? And I am convinced that the key to that is found in this passage. Did you see how the passage ends? It says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, go, talk about me, baptize them in my name, teach them what I taught you, and I will be with you always. So it is when we're going and teaching and baptizing and, and, and showing what God has done for us in our lives that we get closer and closer and closer to God. So if you ask yourself, why do we do this campaign every year? Well, this is the reason. Because you and I, in some way, are helping to extend the kingdom of God throughout the world. See, this is the reason why we do these things. You know, the, the vision of love for the nations that pastors Mark and Laura instilled in our hearts is what drives us in Cancun and what drives this church. From the day we met them, their vision was always like, we need to serve the world. The beginning of this church was because God put in their heart, you need to start a church that will serve the world. Don't concern just with yourself and serve the world. And this is exactly what we do. And listen, don't misunderstand me. Uh, I know that discipleship happens in this church. I know that there are parents discipling their kids and men and women discipling other men and women. But I want you to analyze your own heart and ask yourself the question, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I truly believe in these things that I say that I believe? I mean, wouldn't you love to have a communion with him so deep that he truly was guiding you daily? Now, if you're just starting on this path, you have to remember that, that this is a process. You know, the, the noticeable change in the life of a person, the Bible calls it fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And just like a physical fruit, it doesn't appear one day. It grows slowly. But you need to be watering it and tending it. And, and that's what spiritual disciplines do in your life. And then you give fruit. But if you have been coming here for years, and you're not doing this. You're not doing anything. You have to question yourself. What am I doing? Is this a hobby? This, these things are real. The, the one reason why God left us here after saving us is so that we would do this. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give you an abundant life. And I find a lot of Christians that live boring lives, empty lives. And if you ask yourself, why is that? It's because of this. He invited you to live in an adventure. You know, to live for him, to, to extend his kingdom. And he gives you power and authority to do it. And if you're not doing it, you're going to find out that you're maybe living a very comfortable life. But at the end, it's going to be an empty and boring life. Because he made you for something. He equipped you for that. So what are we waiting? Don't you want to really live? Famous line from the movie Braveheart. I know, he's disqualified for a lot of things, but the movie was great. Um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, before he goes to the, to the rendezvous where they're going to ambush him and then kill him, his friends try to stop him. Remember that scene? And they say, aren't you afraid to die? 
And his answer was, everybody dies. Few people really leave. And that's us. Everyone dies. We're all going to die. But wouldn't you like to live in the meantime? The abundant life that God created for you? Well, he's asking you, he's calling you, he's sending you. You want to live? Go. Baptize. Teach. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your calling. Sometimes we get confused and we don't really know if you're calling us or not calling us, but this is so clear. And I know, Lord, that sometimes our hearts can be so full of fear. Sometimes we just busy ourselves not to be thinking of the fact that we are not doing what we should be doing. So my prayer today, Lord, is that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and make even clearer the calling and that you will make it so it burns in our hearts, Lord, so that we want to run to go and do exactly what you want us to do, whatever that is. I know it's different for each one of us, Lord, but just make it clear and remind us at all times, Lord, that this is all about you. That it's not about us, it's not about how we look and how we do it and if, if we're approved. It's all about you and your kingdom and your glory. Allow us, Senor, to keep living for that. Every second of our lives that we would just give it all, every ounce for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. You both. What an incredible word. Hey, before you leave today, uh, up here at the front, you're going to see some of our prayer team. If you need prayer today for anything, I'd invite you to come. Also, as you leave today, uh, we've got some of our team that is ready. If you have your tithe and your offering envelopes, if you've got those prayer requests, you'll see some team members out there with some buckets as you leave today. Be blessed, family. We love you. We hope to see you back here next weekend.